I think perhaps some of you heard of this crazy story. There was a Japanese soldier after 25 years of the end of the World War II, no one told him that the war ended. And he was actually in one of the islands of Philippines, dressed in full duty. He never got reports that the war had ended. No one reached him, and so he snuck underground, fought in the war, uh, on the, the jungles by himself, attacked civilians, and he finally, 25 years later, somebody, a student reached out to him, and there was an article, and I wanted to read these two paragraphs. As you might expect, after living in the jungle, doing what he thought was his duty, helping Japan, now only turning out to be wasting 29 years of his life, and worse, killing and injuring innocent civilians, this came as a crushing blow to Onada. That's the name of the soldier. On March 10, 1975, at the age of 52, Onoda, in full uniform that was somehow still immaculately kept, marched out of the jungle and surrendered his samurai sword to the Philippine president, Ferdinand Marcos. Marcos, very unpopular in the Philippines, but immensely popular in Japan, pardoned Onoda for his crimes, given that Onoda had thought he was still at war the entire time. Can you imagine that? 29 years of your life wasted away because no one got to you and you're still in this state of mind that we're in a war. And I want to tell you, there's actually one thing even just as ridiculous as that. Do you know what it is? To have the complete opposite. To believe we're civilians living a life when there is a war going on and we live as if there is no battle and we live in our little huts. I mean, it's just ridiculous as if like somebody invaded America and we're just going on everyday life saying, should I have uh, Frosted Flakes for cereal or Honey Smacks? Like there's paratroopers coming down on California and we're just going on as if, boy, I hope they play my song at church today. You know, you're, you're kind of delusional. And in the same way, what Paul is saying here in this text, it's stunning and it's very relevant and pertinent to us today. Just a few observations right off the bat. The way Paul describes Christian life, remember, this is how we live. This is who we are in Christ now. And the first thing he says is basically we are in a time of spiritual warfare. Christian life is a warfare, and it's not about living in comfort. I want to go to church so there could be a God who could bless me and I could go to heaven. When you go to become a Christian, we have entered into a warfare. We have been marked by the enemy. You have taken a side, and there is a war going on in the spiritual realm as well as the earthly realm. Listen to what Paul says. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. In other words, it's not him or her or them. It's through them, but there's something bigger. It's what? But against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of the dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So Paul is saying there is this battle going on and there is a devil. There is this warfare that you are in. And if some of you and us, we live as if there's no battle, then the enemy is saying, right on. You know, you know when you ambush or you invade a country, you want them to know that there's nothing going on and everything's cool and then you invade them. And that's how the enemy wins. And I can imagine devil and his enemies and the dark realm looking at the church and saying, they're so clueless. And what Paul is saying is, we are in a time of warfare. Uh, the devil, 
the way Paul writes it is devil's schemes. The word scheme is methodia. And it literally means like um, crafty, cunning, deceit, and trickery. And the devil is trying to trick and craft, craftily fool you. And he is all about you. And Paul is saying this is what's going on. This is the world we live in. And often we minimize Christian life to going to church, trying to be good, you know, knowing a little bit more about the Bible, listen to Christian music. And what Paul is describing here is it's so much more complex than that. Um, there is a spiritual realm. Now, for 21st century, a lot of us, we look at this and we say this, come on, pastor, I believe, you know, in, you know, I believe in that there's communists, there's terrorists, I believe that there's Canadians and Mexicans, and there's nations, there's sovereignties, but you know, these angels and demon stuff, isn't that kind of like fiction? So that you're not the only one. Throughout the Bible, there were people who were saying, who's going to save us? What's, you know, has God abandoned us? And there was one story in 2 Kings where Elisha is with his servant, and they're about to be killed by this terror, terror-filled king. And then the servant says, there's no one around us. And Elisha says this, Lord, open his eyes. One of the coolest parts of the Bible and the God opens his eyes, and the servant opens his eyes, and then he says, then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. The good news is, just as there are these forces, spiritual forces around us, God's heavenly forces, his strength and his power is just as much around us as well. So that's the first thing to know. Just if you don't know anything else today, just walk away and realizing there is a spiritual warfare going on. It's not merely going to church or being good and trying to be, be a good citizen. You are, boop, if you say a Christian, you have a target right here. And the devil's going to say, is he a threat to me? Is she a threat? Or are they not a threat? So that takes us to the next one. The, the Bible never suggests we want you to believe there's a devil. It never does that. What does the Bible do? It always presumes because the devil exists, therefore. In other words, for the Bible, it is never an issue that there is a devil. Now, there was a survey done, Gallup poll. You know how many out of nine, how many, I just gave the answer, nine out of ten Americans believe there is a God. Yay, yay. All right. Of those same people, Guess how many believe that there is a devil? Not that low. 43% of Americans believe there is a devil. Usually they say, oh, it's just a metaphor for evil. He doesn't exist. Um, So C.S. Lewis, he famously said this, there are two dangers that we can make about the devil. One is to disbelieve in their existence. And the other danger is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. So he's saying, C.S. Lewis is saying, regarding the devil, there's two problems that we could fall into. One is, the devil did it. Devil's everywhere. Everything's about devil. That car cut me off. That's the devil. You know, this is unhealthy, excessive feeling that everything is a devil. You know, they don't have my celery today. It's all rotten. (gasps) The devil's trying to get me. But most of us flip the other way. There's no devil. You know, that's just coincidence. And C.S. Lewis is saying both are completely dangerous. And he goes on and says this. The devil is equally pleased. He says, thank you. With both errors, 
and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. I want to tell you, if there's nothing else, um, one tangible way I believe there's a devil, and I, you know that you can't scientifically prove. Take a picture. Here's a devil. You know, Bigfoot. You know, devil. But there's one, one proof that I hold to very seriously, amongst others. I'll share with it this way. The Old Testament talks about the devil. I'm not sure if you know the origin of Satan. One of the sources is Isaiah 14, verse 12 through 15. And Isaiah writes about Satan. How you have fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to the earth. You who once laid low the nations. He was one of God's chief angels. You said in your heart, listen to this. I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly on the utmost heights of Mount Zaphon. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. And that was, a, that was the devil's downfall. I can become bigger and just as bad as God. By the way, Adam and Eve, what was their temptation? The fruit looked delicious? Partly, but what do you think it was? If you eat of this, you will become what? Like God. I could become like God. And the very nature of sin is this, that you believe that you are God. We do this every day. We live as if we are our own gods, my own sovereignty, and my own decisions. And in that way, Satan explored that route, and he said to God, I could beat him. And before, because of that, he was kicked out. So, another person talks about Satan. First Peter 5, there's tons, but I want to share two more. First Peter 5 eight. what does Peter say? Who was with Jesus, saw him resurrected, went out. He says, be alert and sober mind. In other words, church, wake up. Wake up, church, he's saying, look out. Why? Because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Your enemy is the devil, and he's prowling around. Now, this is just, I don't want to spend too much time on that text, but it's not like devil's waiting in the bush for you to come home and he'll grab you. Gotcha. You know? Ooh! How does he devour us? He devours the joy, the faith you have in Jesus Christ. He sets you up against a neighbor. He devours your very effectiveness for God, and he deceives and distorts who you are. And he, once you are cut off from God, you've been devoured. And that happens not only to non-Christians, but to Christians. So Peter is saying, can you wake up? Can you wake up? You know, by the way, I'm going to talk about this, but churches that fight, you know, there was a spiritual thing going on. Somehow we think that it's just having the right meeting, having the right elder, having the right pastor. Oh, it's definitely not us because we're so good. It's the pastor. And the devil says, nice. Don't pray. Whatever you do, don't pray. Don't be humble. You could figure this out. And we believe that. And churches, and in the end, you see a trail of Satan walking away to the next church. So, but this is the reason why I believe the devil is real. There is only one person in the whole Bible that I believe more than anyone else. What's his name? Jesus. There is, and this is what Jesus says about the devil in John 8, 44. And he, he, 
and picture this. He's not talking about devil as a metaphor or just like an idea. It's a real person. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He's talking to Pharisees. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. The very nature of the Satan is lies. He's the father of lies. So this is what Jesus says. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Jesus is not talking about an idea. He's talking about a person. And this devil, number one trait of devil is not horror movie pain and blood. <laughs> what is it? Did you hear it? His number one weapon is, say it church, lies. And we are not smart enough to distort, discern which are truth and lies based on our own intelligence. And when you say, I am smart and I can figure this out, Satan's like, who said that? Who said that? Let me, let me go hang out with them. When you get arrogant, when you get to the point where you say stuff like, I don't need this. I, I know it all. I, I know enough about this church. I know about Jesus. I, I'm pretty good. It's them that need it. Satan says, who just said that? Who's that arrogant and boastful? I love that heart. Because he's, he'll plant that one seed. You know, um, I showed you a picture a while ago. Do you remember we went to Big Bear with the youth group? And there was this huge boulder, and Nathan was standing next to it. Do you remember that picture? And do you remember what was growing out of this huge boulder? A tree. You see, this huge boulder gets defeated and cracked by a single acorn. A little seed. It falls in. You don't need a jackhammer. You just get a little plant, little little seed. And once that grows and pushes out this boulder, what happens? Split. You see, Satan doesn't need to inundate you with lies. He just needs to give you one lie to believe it. And you're done. And it grows. And Jesus is saying, this guy is real. And Paul is saying, you can't put your guard down. I had a toy gun before. I brought it. I, I copped out. But can you imagine a police officer carrying a toy gun? <laughs> beep, 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 beep. I had a toy gun, you know. And sometimes we are like that. We fight. If there's like a, someone shooting at me or so, there's war and you go to Iraq or you go to a war military and the U.S. government goes to your soldiers and Marines and says, go get them. Here's some toy laser guns. It's a joke. And we have to realize as a church, are you equipped? Are you aware there's a battle? So let's go on. So there is a devil. There is this reality. And the nature of the devil is one who deceives. And one of the way, best ways that I heard that Satan attacks us is he doesn't just make you evil. You know, does, you know, you had friends like that. They don't make you evil. This is what Satan loves doing. And um, I heard this illustration from, from um, a pastor, and he says, Satan is like a piano. You open the lid, right? What happens when you yell into a piano? Do you know that the, the keys ring? I'm, gonna, I'm not going to have Elvin do it. You go, the, the strings go, bong, you know, with your voice. And he doesn't touch you, but he speaks into through you to make that sound as if you realize, oh, I'm making that sound. So he doesn't change your mind. He doesn't go, Jason, go punch that person. Oh, I will. You know, it's, 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 we don't believe in that. But he plants an idea, 
and as if it's your thought. So in other words, if that's complex, here, let me simplify it. Satan takes our existing flaws and exploits them for our own devastation. I just had a conversation with a few friends last night. If some of us are addictive in nature, Satan knows you way better than you know you sometimes. If some of us are susceptible to pride and jealousy, got him. If some of us are susceptible to self-righteousness, insecurity, greed, all he needs to know is study you and say, what is this person's weakness? And he'll exploit it from there. So I was telling uh, someone, how many of you go fishing? How many of you go fishing? Any of you fish? Okay. When you go fishing, how many of you go there because you really like to feed the fish? <coughs> Do fishermen go to feed the fish? The answer is no. You don't, fishermen don't take a hook, line, and sinker so that they could go, I want to feed fish. I feel like being nice today. <laughs> but you put something in the water that's very tasty, don't, isn't it? Are you doing it because you like the fish? And you're giving them a bone, like throwing them something nice? What is your intention? You're drawing on the natural desires of the fish so that it draws them in. And behind that fleshly shrimp squid when they bite in is this hook that traps them and doesn't let them go and it leads to their demise and the way satan works is he doesn't destroy you by you know those haunted the movies with the ghosts it's not that he starts from the inside and he knows you and he knows your weaknesses and ultimately he has five goals in mind one is to defame god one is to destroy the church, deceive people. One is to divide the church and to discourage followers. That's Satan's job. He wants to deceive you, destroy you, divide you. He wants to undermine the work of God. He wants to say, God, you are a joke. And he speaks into that. So Paul is saying we are in a serious battle and we don't even realize it. We think it's about just, I want the good music, I want nice message, I want nice comfort, and keep the AC on 72 degrees, and make my life happy, and when someone's sick, God forbid, you better heal my family God, because I give you offering, and we think Christianity is that, and Jesus is saying, and Paul is saying, wake up, church. You got an enemy prowling around, and if you don't watch out, you'll be devoured. So Paul says, Thanks be to God. Let me just turn it cool. Verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord. Our strength is in the Lord. And then he gives us a couple of weapons. Do you notice? What do you notice? Let me just do a pop quiz. What do you notice about the weapons he described? Anything? Anything that majority of them? They're what? Helmet. Helmet, breastplate, shield, belt, shoes, sword. What do you notice about most of these things? Yeah, Donna Thiek, welcome back. Most of these are defensive. You know what our, that means? Our job is not to conquer the devil. He's been already conquered, amen? Their, your job, my job is to, he says it three times, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. And then he says again, stand firm then. You think Paul is trying to tell us something? What is our job? 
you're not supposed to try to beat the devil. You're supposed to stand and resist him in the Lord. Woo, that's good news for me because the devil is way more powerful, knows the Bible way better than any of us, and my job is in the Lord to stand. Church, are we standing? Are you standing in the Lord? Are you standing against the devil's weapons? Five out of the six are defense, and the last one is the word of God, which is a sword. And he said the belt, the breastplate, the shoe, shield. Go really quick. Belt of truth. Here's how you stand. Buckled up. If I don't have this, my pants will kind of, you know, do that, and it's not a good sight. The belt of truth holds it all together. The truth of God's word. Do we believe that Jesus did die for our sins, and I am a sinner, and he rose again, and he has conquered sin and death once and for all? That's the truth. Do you hold on to that? Or do you hold on to, my dad was a Christian, my mom was a Christian, so I go to church, and I'm a good guy, and good people go to heaven. Why is he in heaven? Because he was a good man. And Jesus is saying, you better buckle up with truth, son. Because there's nothing holding up that pants with that crock. What are you believing in? What is holding your truth? We have a lot of people who have opinions. Well, I don't like this part of the Bible. I don't like this part of the Bible. I want God to, you know, God's got to prove himself to me. And I, and I just want to say, let's be real. I, if I could be impolite for two seconds, who the heck do you think you are to tell God, prove yourself to me? Wow, that's arrogant. I am Jason Coe, so God better show up and show me he's real or I won't believe in him. Who are you, oh man? Did you call up the waters to reach the shore? Did you raise up the mountains? Were you here when the foundations of the earth were laid? What is this truth? Or do you believe that you are just a mist of air? So belt of truth, do we believe, rely on this? Best breastplate of righteousness. Do you believe that you've been made right with God through none of your works? That right now you have been justified in Jesus Christ? I can't earn God's love. He has made me equal to Jesus. Thank you. That's what guards you. Satan will say, you're not good enough. Satan will say, how could you go to church, you hypocrite? Fine, I won't go. But you're hypocrites anyway. And Paul is saying, stand up. Breastplate of righteousness. Shoes of gospel of peace. We have peace with God through the gospel. The gospel of peace. That the shoes, the gospel of peace reminds us, I am now reconciled to God. He and I are one. Do you see how all these things point back to what God has done in your life? Shield of faith, extinguishing the flames, flaming arrows of the devil. See, our belief in Jesus Christ and our faith in those times are meant to firm us up. Raise your hand if you experience hardship at least once in your life. Raise your hand if you experienced numerous hardships to a point where you said, I don't know if I could go on. Amen. You see, in those times, when you turn your attention to who God is, they don't, they don't break you, but they strengthen your faith in Jesus Christ. And it is Satan's lies who say, God's abandoned you. And I always remind you of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They, they, were, they wouldn't bow down to King Nebuchadnezzar. And they said, if you don't bow down to me, I'll throw you in the fire. And then this is what they said. We'll never bow down to you. But even if we, you know, if you throw us in the fire, God will save us. And even if he doesn't, I'll never bow down to you. 
Sounds different from 21st century Christians, if I do say so myself. If God is real, he will take away my pain. Even in the Old Testament, God promises, I am going to be with you in the fire, but I will not take away the fire. Do you have that kind of faith to extinguish Satan's arrows? Or do you look at trials and tribulations as, oh, this is a crock, or this world stinks? Or do you take that time to say, Satan, bring it, because I have a faith in a God who is bigger than you. And a couple of more, helmet of salvation, that we are secured in God's word. And lastly, God's word, the sword. Church, there's been studies. We are one of the most biblically illiterate generation in all of American history <laughs> in this time. How are you when Jesus is tempted in the, Jesus was tempted for 40 days in the desert when he was fasting. You know what Satan tempted him with? Scripture. You know, if you're God, jump off the temple. If you're God, you know, turn the stone into bread. And if you bow down to me, I'll give you everything. And how does Jesus fight back Satan? With nice words? Threw a rock back at him? He quoted scripture. Church. I feel like sometimes we go out there with a cardboard stick <laughs> when the enemy has a two-handed double-edged sword and he'll just cut, cut you down and you're like, oh yeah, I could go, you know, yay. I want to ask you, how are you doing with the word of God? Is it, do you wait for just a Sunday sermon to get your word of God? Or are you growing in it, studying it, internalizing it and obeying it? And I'm not trying to give you a guilt trip. I'm trying to say, you better armor up, buddy, <laughs> or sister, because you ain't fighting the devil with nice words. <laughs> you got to know what the truth of God's word is. And what Paul is saying is, these are things that God has given us as his gift. So finally, be strong, not in your own goodness. So let me end with this, just a couple of things. Remember one thing. 1 John 3 tells us, devil's already been defeated. Amen? When Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose again, Satan was finished. He knows that, but he's still prowling around. 1 John 3 8 says, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Hallelujah! Thanks be to God. But how do we live? And I think James does a good job of summarizing. I'll end with this. James chapter 4, verse 7 through 9. Submit yourselves then to God. That's how he starts off. How do you fight the devil? Here's your first step. Submit yourself to God. In other words, God, you're my master. I am your servant, slave, follower. You are way more important than I in all my dreams, even my family. You come first. I want to follow your way. Submit yourselves to God, and then here it is. Same thing, idea, stand. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Awesome. When Satan knows he can't penetrate you, he'll eventually leave. Do you ever have bullies? Same thing with bullies. Nah, 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 nah. One of the best weapons against bullies is don't react. Oh, you know, and then they get bored of you, and they, they walk away. That's one of the best ways. But anyway, for the devil, it's resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Resist him with the shield of faith, belt of truth, helmet of salvation, breastplate of righteousness, the word of the sword. And then James says this, the brother of Jesus, and then come near to God, and he will come near to you. What does that mean? 
he'll answer. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. What did you hear there? How do you fight the devil? It's not through your strength, is it? What is it? It's through our humility and surrender to God. It's just like as if someone's bullying me, and then, and then I just stand there, and then my, my dad or my brother comes, and he's standing right behind me, and then they're like, all right, we'll leave you alone. See, I don't need to fight. I just need to say, I got a protector who's bigger, who is good. And when the devil comes to bully you, to torture you, to hurt you, to deceive you, to destroy this church, you know what our job is? Not to try harder. It's not to have more meetings. It's not to kick out the bad people or to gossip and slander, but it's to humble ourselves and pray and say, God, rule over us. Amen? And as we submit to God and draw near to God, he will draw near to us. I want to be a church that Satan quakes in his boots. I want to be a church where we are so dependent on God and so humble before the Lord and we are so prayerful that we could go out into the world and Satan says, I am messing with that group. I want to be a church where we say Jesus Christ rules me and this place. He is king. Not one person. Not the pastor. Not the longtime member. He is king. And he will reign forever. And we will shine that light. How many of you want to be part of that kind of church? And this is what Christ is calling us into. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Lord, it's so counterintuitive that to fight the devil is not by our own might and power, but it is in this humility before you and letting your power reign over us. God, may you give us truth. May you give us affirmation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. May we be a church that stands not on a foundation of what we've accomplished in the past, but in the foundation, the cornerstone of Jesus Christ. And Lord, may you shine gloriously above all things. And would you diminish, Father God, the seed that had been planted by Satan over the years in many of us, whether it be bitterness or anger, jealousy, insecurity, that these things, Lord God, we confess to you so that Satan will not have a hold. And Lord, as, you, as it says in Ephesians, in your anger, do not sin. Don't let the sun go down in your anger. Don't give the devil a foothold. May we be a church that examines our hearts right now. And Jesus, by the power of your Holy Spirit, you free us from those traps that we've fallen into. And that, God, that you would liberate us, that we would be free to run with you. Help us to be a church that prays. Help us to be a church that is humble. But help us to be a church that is confident in the one who is in all and above all things. In your name, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.